On today's episode of The Glue Guys, we are going to debut a new segment called Concern Tears. Yeah, love a new segment. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuysNetsDaily.com. The Athletic. Get behind that paywall. Go to theathletic.com slash glue guys and you will find a special deal. Brian. Ugh. 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 The Nets are back. Ugh. 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 Mike. You're so bad. Are you worried? Mike, you're worried, um, I'm aren't concerned. you? You are. You're concerned. Yeah. Would you care to, I don't know, rank that concern in some quantifiable <laughs> way? <laughs> We're going to have a fun episode today. Uh, as fun as you can possibly have about a very disappointing Brooklyn Nets squad led by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Um, there has been an emerging sense of anxiety out not only on Brooklyn Nets Twitter, but NBA Twitter writ large concerning mm. the Brooklyn Nets because, you know, they just lost to the Wizards, who the Wizards have been bad previously, and they lost pretty poorly uh, to the Atlanta Hawks on New Year's Day. And so everyone has their pitchforks out on Twitter mm. mm-hmm. for this Brooklyn Nets squad. Five games in, but yet they are a complete disaster on the scale of the Hindenburg. No, wait, aren't they? It's seven games in. Seven games in. Seven games in, sorry. Yeah. That's... <laughs> It's a big difference. Brian, I wanted to do this. So we are going to debut a very exciting new segment called Concern Tears. Not T-E-A-R-S, T-I-E-R-S, Tears, Levels. But let's start with this. So in Concern Tears, Brian and I will rank various concerns that we may have about different aspects of this Nets team and hopefully come to a decision um, about what we really should be worried about and what, you know, maybe it's just noise early in this uh, pandemic shortened season. But first, Brian, how concerned just overall are you about your Brooklyn Nets? So in our biumvirate, I will be occupying the role of the less concerned party, I think. Maybe naturally, maybe not. Maybe it's a character I, I'm putting on. Maybe you're you know, chicken little act that you're about to put on. Maybe that's a character that you're going to put on. Um, but for the, for the purposes of today, I'm not that worried about it. Although I'll say this, you have the upper hand on me because I haven't watched any Washington wizards games. So I don't really know how bad they've been, which it sounds like have, they've been pretty bad. They've been pretty bad. They've been just dis- a pretty big disappointment with Russell Westbrook coming over, but they did beat the Timberwolves earlier, like right before this Nets game. Um, things had been trending in the right direction. But they started the season 0-4. Um, they had blown a couple of games. Uh, Russell Westbrook was just shooting mid-range after mid-range and looking clunky AF. It's a game the Nets should have won, obviously. And so, you know, this is a string of now games that the Nets should have won. And it is a little concerning, Brian. There's no doubt about it. This I, To have a lack of concern... I think is is improper. And this what we should be concerned. Concern isn't fear, it isn't fatalistic, but concern is a worry. It's a it's a hopefulness also that maybe things will get fixed, but certainly concerning. I think I think Nets fans are concerned about what's happening right now. I mean, based on just like the Wizards game for me was an interesting one just because like I was so constantly triggered the whole time just 
by virtue of the way the game was called there and that's a, i know that that's like a not a, a not a good argument to fall back on because people think that that i guess like shouldn't matter or something i'm of the mind that if you're getting a million bad calls on you and the other team is the beneficiary of the million bad calls that it does sway the game a little bit in in someone's favor <laughs> that's my that's where i come to it and not to say that it's like you know all sins are forgiven that there isn't room for improvement obviously right that's obvious but it was like in an anomaly to my eye of like, this is being called two very different ways. And two, here's the little thing that, and this is way off topic and we're going to get into the, to the real meat of this in a second, but like the way that they um, do the ref, like running back and forth, I I disagree with that premise. It should be that the person who's on the baseline should get all the way to the baseline both times, not calling from half court and then baseline, because my understanding is this. <laughs> if you, if you are calling like, at the rim fouls one way, you'll call it the other, the other, but if you're calling like traveling, but you know, there's different files and violations that happen in different places on the court. That's sort of what I'm trying to say. And I don't want to see you calling a certain set of violations on one end and not have the same opportunity to call those violations at the other end. Um, this is me being, yeah. <laughs> you want old chubby refs. To be running baseline to baseline. No, no, no. With no every I want the young. Possession. I want the young guys to go baseline to baseline, and then have the half court to half court guy be the chubby guy. You know, there's always like one fit dude in his twenties, yeah, thirties or something, yeah. and then there's like a guy in his eighties or something. So now there's eighty year olds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, which which is always very interesting. But yeah, that guy can go just literally three point arc, three point arc. Brian, that is the physical toll that that ref would have. A 48-minute game of running baseline to baseline would be obscene. Like, you for, would only for be able to have... For an in-shape 30-year-old, the greatest I mean, of marathoners. An in-shape 30-year-old. First of all, they should all be in-shape 30-year-olds. I'm just, I hate to say it, right. but there's... There Are is you like an in-shape 30-year-old? I'm an out-of-shape 30-year-old. Um, and yeah. I would not... And I don't... And because of my out-of-shapedness, I would say I wouldn't make a good ref. <laughs> That's, I would be able to <laughs> diagnose that in myself. Um, anyways, this has gotten off topic, but I think everybody sees my point that if you're, you know, it, it, I think it makes sense. If you don't, you don't think that that makes sense, Mike? I think what makes more sense, I, I think it, it's too physically grueling to have one person run basket to basket for every possession for the okay, totality of 48 minutes. <laughs> fine. Have yeah, two no, very so like-minded people at opposite ends, but, but I don't know. I, I don't like the way that this whole thing is being done. I don't like it being staggered. Did you ever play like F Zero on Nintendo? Of course, or Super of NES. Course I think I did it was. That. So my solution involves F Zero, which is we reconstruct some of those vehicles. The, yeah. the hovercraft. If you didn't play F Zero, it's a it's like a hovercraft racing game that was dope AF. Again, dope AF makes a return of this in the show. It was an awesome game back in the day. Build some of those hovercrafts. I want the refs not on the court at all. I want them hovering above it. You know what as was, if they're is like more efficient beans. than just a hovercraft is just a camera. You can just put cameras there. We've had this technology <laughs> for, for a while now. It could just be a camera. But are hovercrafts cooler than cameras, Brian? That's, that's you a fair point. You answer me that question. That's a fair point. Anyways, do you agree with the bit, the whole premise that led into this nonsense about that the game was being unfairly called at all? Do you, as a Wizards fan, this is going to be tough for you? You know, it, it is it is true that, you know, I don't think I've ever heard this discussion had, that the, a different ref calls it under one basket than the other one. Um, <laughs> I, don't know if this, I don't know if the solution is a, a grueling uh, marathon man like Gauntlet to uh, subject uh, fat chubby refs to, but I think my F-Zero 
solution is is more practical um we you know can what? enlist jeff bezos to get involved I'm yeah, not, not that premise i'm talking about the premise that the wizards won that game largely because anyways we can get <laughs> we, can, we can touch we can touch on both of these premises because here's the other uh, thing we've yeah. got long distance runners guys who place like i'm not even talking about top 10 you know if you're in the marathons and you're placing <laughs> top 15 top 25 you're in great shape you could you could easily do this i would rather get those guys running i mean they could do it 100 percent, they could do that and and what are they doing right now where's the, there's no marathons right now you could have like a cool runnings like you know uh sort of environment where like you you send big fat john candy to go find like f- failed marathon runners you know marathon runners because the basis of cool runnings is everyone jamaican there's the a lot of everyone fast jamaicans <laughs> but but there aren't there, but there's only so many slots on the Jamaican run, uh, you know, track and field team. So right. take the the quickest Jamaicans exactly. from 25 to 30 and turn them into bobsledders. You got yourself a gold w- medal winning team. My solution is whatever country is the best at marathon running, maybe Kenya. Your solution or, this is my, uh, this is my solution. <laughs> but your yeah, solution. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm merging solutions here. Okay. So we have Cool Runnings Part 2. And instead of building a bobsled team, we're building the ultimate referee squad, okay? And we're finding a bunch of failed marathoners who aren't quite good enough to catch up to the top runners, but have an interest in sports and have an appreciation for the athletics, and (laughs) it'd be the most boring movie ever. Do you realize how triggered i am hearing you tell your my idea back to me as though it's your idea right now do you do you know know what that's like for me um anyways so that's all that's all that was our conversation about the wizards game um that was not very in-depth yeah um but we could go right into like the big macro issues surrounding this team like an aggregate of all the concerns floating in the ether up to this uh seventh game going into the eighth game here mike let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our concern tears so brian this is the debut of our new segment concern tears this is where we're going to take various concerns surrounding this brooklyn nets team and placing them within tiers so that's why it's called concern tears um some of these concerns are small some of them are big some of them are maybe unfounded but all of them are ideas and themes and thoughts surrounding this slightly disappointing brooklyn nets team before we begin brian how do you feel about this segment good so i just also want to explain that for those who are listening along and not seeing the visual asset here that we're that you and i are enjoying and ostensibly some people in the future will see on a on a, on a video app of some kind um this is the deal where it's like the s a b c you're ranking with the s tier people have seen this this is a thing that people do on the internet um so that's how we've sort of considered this <clears throat> we have we're using the image of players but there's a little bit more conversation about that. It's not just the player who's at fault, right? We're, we're kind of using the player as a launching point into a conversation about a potential concern and kind of aligning it with one individual figurehead. Like, that's a little bit of the premise, okay? I just want people to understand we're not saying that this is your fault or your fault. It's a little bit about broader trends, right? Right. So, Torian Prince, if you've seen yourself in the top tier, the S tier, it's not it's completely not your, your fault. But it's, <laughs> but can I ask? I do yeah. see the Brooklyn Knight. Is there a reason why the Brooklyn Knight is on the uh, tier rankings? Yeah, well, you want to start? Yeah, is the why is the Brooklyn Knight there? The first, the first one is the Brooklyn Knight, the curse of the Brooklyn Knight. How much does that factor <laughs> into just the the bad juju uh, surrounding the team generally? Like, on a, from a spiritual perspective, like where do you rank that? <laughs> um, I put that as a B tier, so this would be the third tier if you're looking at our list. Uh, I, I believe in curses. 
I don't believe in curses as so much as if they're hexes, um, you know, a, a voodoo curse. I believe in curses as as systemic issues of culture that uh, last throughout. So the curse of the Bambino was not necessarily that Babe Ruth was smoking a cigar and cursing uh, his former franchise and leading them to a century's worth of losing. I The curse of the Bambino is the fact that the, the uh, Red Sox franchise were cheap and they were unable to keep the greatest baseball player of all time. Uh, they continue to be cheap and poorly run, and it, it was a curse of sort of a show cause. So this a similar thing with the Nets. When the Nets came into the NBA, uh, they had a choice of having Julius Irving, and but they didn't have enough money, so they had to sell Julius Irving, the, the, the main draw for the ABA, when they got into the NBA, and that led to a, frankly, pr- long-running, irrelevant franchise. If they had – so it, it's not as if Dr. J cursed the Nets – but the the curse of bad ownership of of inade- inadequate leadership persisted. So Brooklyn Knight, why does that matter? Uh, I don't think it really does, but I think it's like a great. Let, let's it's, let's just put it in the middle tier. It's got to be accounted for because it's, it's a good just visual been talked about. It's a good visual. Mike, you go. Where do you want to go next? Okay, so the first uh, actual concern that involves humans, I guess the Brooklyn Knight is a human, but my first one, and I feel like we can both answer this quickly. How back is Kevin Durant? Uh, so let's go over to little Kevin oh, Durant. I, one quick yes. thing to note, S tier means it's the most high concern. F tier means it's not a concern just so that we're on the yeah. same page with that. Yeah. Can you explain to me why number one is S? You know, there's, there's a whole site called tiermaker.com that I was going to use for this. And then like it made me, the only way you could log in and make something was via Twitter. And I didn't, that scared me. That scared me Please. away. No, I know. Never do so, that. cause we already get so much junk mail and stuff so it's we've (laughs) we've i am responsible for this i've signed up for too many services in the past and it's it's uh it's bad it has a whole explanation of why it's s tier it has to do with video games and somehow i didn't it was tldr but um i don't know it's like imagine what's better than an a is an s it's special special tier that's a good way exactly yeah (laughs) yeah okay so how back is kevin durant and what we mean by that are you know how how what percentage is he is he 98 percent? is he 99 percent? is he 89 percent who knows? To me, just to pay respect, I put him in the D tier, which is the fifth tier, five out of six. I only put him there and not the F tier. And F tier is the very minimum level of concern is just because it's only been seven games in the season. Durant has been incredible. Here his, is his stat line so far this year. 28 points per game, five assists, seven rebounds. His shooting percentages, 89% from the free throw line, 54% from two uh, 45%, almost 46% from three, and overall 51% from the field. Uh, he is as devastating of an offensive force as he was pre-injury. There's a little, 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 tiny little lag, um, maybe more in the ball handling aspect, but actually that's probably more having to do with rust, Chinese rust than anything else. Um, I put him as a D tier just because I, we just need more time but I feel pretty damn good about Kevin Durant. So I would have gone F, right? So I'll put him right on the line there just to average it out. Um, just because like with those numbers in mind, like what more can you possibly want? Those are those are efficient, high volume, deadly numbers that like if if they – the fact that they've been there to start with is evidence that like, okay, that it could be that way, right? I mean, I'm not saying that those are long-term going to be at 45% from the three-point line. is It's quite good among his other stats. Um, 
but it seems to suggest to me that like okay you could play at the most elite levels for any for a small period of time in theory you could do that for longer periods of time going forward exactly so i don't really have that much concern about kevin it's kind of amazing that we don't have any concern yeah it's it's really it's why i'm kind of generally not super duper concerned okay we'll just put that out there and that's an important level and you know each of these concerns are not created equal Right. There's and if so, if if you we'll get to the end of this, but if you are unconcerned about Kevin Durant, um, that means a lot. That means really good things for the Brooklyn Nets. Moving um, along. Let's go to another hot topic, Mike. Yeah. Choose the next guy. I'm going to go with the coaching prowess of Cherboy, <laughs> Stephen J. Bartholomew Nash. Um, oh, Brian's inching him up as he's speaking. He's inching him up closer to the <laughs> S and A tiers, <laughs> uh, indicating that maybe he does not feel so good about Steve Nash. What do you? How do you feel about Steve Nash? So, this one's tough for me. I am trending a little bit into like the B tier because, uh, which is tier three, by the way. This is tier three, so it's S A B, maybe even A tier among um, like the possible concerns here. Um, so here's here's a little why, I guess. For me, like there isn't a ton I would change about the rotation. And I think he like very correctly put TLC into the starting lineup, which is, you know, it I don't know that all coaches make that decision. It's slightly on the ballsy side of things, which I like. Uh so he's got like, I think, well, Insofar as I feel like my perspective on things is good, like we see eye to eye on that part of the rotation, at least. And and like he's dealing with the DeAndre Jordan politicking situation in a way that is admirable. I feel like he's like sort of tacitly acknowledging the fact that he has to start but not close. Although Jeff Green has been eking into that cl- uh, closing those closing minutes of the game, which I feel like is an interesting thing that will. I mean, it's an interesting thing to test out. Um, I don't know if you watched the end of that Wizards game, but Jeff Green featured prominently there. Um, yeah, which could be questionable, but anyways, small sample size theater. The thing that we were so super duper confident about at game, like three or two or three or something was our team defense looked, uh, kind of good. I mean, it was the, the date, the defensive rating on like clearing the glass, whatever said that we were elite. And we like, obviously knew we shouldn't read into that and did the, the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is to say like, yeah, we're pretty good at defense. That's, that's not a statistical anomaly. Um, I am a little bit more concerned about our team defensive issues. Um, I'm a little bit concerned also about the, I mean, we're at a place with this squad where, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant should feature, I would say even more prominently in the offense than they do, which is kind of a crazy thing to say, just because of their output has been so high. That level of efficiency is great, but I could actually weather a little bit more volumetric storm on that front because, uh, like I remember last game or, uh, against the wizards, um, just watching a, while Kyrie and Kevin Durant are on the wings, a uh, two-man game with Landry Shamit and Jared Allen at the top of the arc, and I was like, "This never, this should never be allowed to happen." While those two guys <laughs> are standing there and watching that happen, it of course resulted in an immediate turnover. It was a bad idea from from the start, and I feel like the next phase of Steve Nash is going to be. You know, we, we're starting to do the integrating the players things, which is which you definitely need to do, especially early on in the season. Finding out whose people's roles are is experimenting. I'm worried that the experimentation is allowing people to do things outside of their roles a little bit. They're getting a little <laughs> bit too encouraged to play outside of their roles. Is that fair? Is that crazy? I think it's fair. I I support. I mean, like you support, but I support Steve Nash's allowances to Timothy Luwello Cabarro and Torian Prince and Landry Shamit and Karis Levert. Frankly, like I support 
that. I understand what you mean, though, where it's like this team isn't running at its most efficient. Um, and, and so how I'm going to handle the Steve Nash coaching inexperience experience question is I'm just going to say if the Nets go on, like continue to not be all that good early on. I mean, we saw this before with the Heatles, with Dwayne Wade, Chris Brosh, and LeBron James. I don't know if the Heatles ever really stuck as the nickname for the for those Heat teams. People try to make it stick. It's also kind of like a lame name for a team that was in the 2000s. Like, yeah, it's a 60s reference. The Beatles had their time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, we don't yeah. need to always reference them. They were they were fine, the Beatles. Um, and it, shots, shots fired at Beatles. But I do think they're – if the Nets go on and continue to be clunky – the poor, the person that's going to be pointed towards the, the the wrath is going to be at Steve Nash, and he's going to have to be able to handle the wrath in that way, that or uh, a fury of which he's never seen before in his life, uh, which is Twitter fury, and he is on Twitter, so he'll see the fury. Um, so I know I, I, how concerned am I about his inexperience? I am perhaps a little more bullish on parts of his coaching, like I'm. As I see it happen, I love how he interacts with the players and he he seems to con- be concerned about how each player is doing. You know, he isn't like a guy who's like there's some coaches who only care about the stars and the role players seem like they he did the coaches barely even talk to them. Nash likes to touch the souls of each each player. Um but I am he's he's playing around a lot and if that playing aroundness, if that playfulness continues uh, that will be concerning because eventually we're going to need Steve Nash, the authoritarian, to be like, as much as I like to give everyone minutes, you eight guys are the guys getting minutes and everyone else ain't playing. And part of the authoritarianism is DeAndre, uh, Jared Allen's going to play 32 minutes a game and you're going to play 10 minutes. And that's just what's going to happen. And I don't know if he'll ever get to that point. I don't know if he'll be allowed to, but that is part of it. So I'm giving him. You have Nash in the B tier, which is the third tier. For me, he's fourth tier level of concern. It's 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 slightly toasty. Um, it's like when you put a, a bagel in the toaster, uh, and it's got just that little bit of brown crispiness at the top, but it's still kind of mushy. Um, that's what I'm going for. With, where, where do you with go Steve with Nash. toast and bagels? Are you auto you auto toast the bagel? Yeah, but that's nothing to do with preference. That's to do with laziness. You know, hmm. um, like you don't go and get the fresh. Bagel I. Uh, because here's here's my sort of thesis on it is like toasting the bagel is fine if it's not a fresh bagel it brings it back to life a little bit but if you're going out and making right. the trek for the fresh for the fresh big you know pay a little respect give the, give the bagel a chance oh, okay I thought you meant like how much toastiness do I like on the bagel yeah I agree if it's a fresh bagel you I think you leave it unadulterated in terms of the temperature mm. that it comes out you know you could put the cream cheese you could put the butter <laughs> whatever you want to put on it but you you just leave it pure. Fresh out of the oven, like a baby born. So just from the you know, store. You don't, the I don't go to the store and say toast it again because, you know, people are all, always toasting the bagel a second time. I don't do that always. Right. Anyways, no. neither here nor there. Um, um, so we're splitting a BC for Steve Nash. I do want to say just one final point on that. Like, I agree with the general sentiment about experimenting with people's minutes. It's this the making sure that you can be more authoritarian, as you say, about the role within those minutes. That's a little bit where I draw the difference. You know what I'm saying? But anywho. Right. And uh, he doesn't have to be that hard and fast with it now. 
it just it, it he it will come to the point where like every coach is be like, hey, uh, you're good, you play. Hey, you suck, you don't play, yeah. right? Right. Or when you play, don't shoot. Yeah. Um, we are, we're not there yet with Steve Nash. Um, Rookie the next one. Yeah, let's do it on the list. Let's go Spencer Dinwiddie. You're hovering yeah. around Spencer Dinwiddie's head. Um, if you haven't got the update, Spencer Dinwiddie has had successful. All surgeries are successful. He's had successful ACL <laughs> that, The surgery. first time you hear that, like, the surgery, guys, we screwed up. <laughs> that was, like, a, such a <laughs> funny thing. Like, it was a, it was, you'll never hear that, right? It was always a success. It, it, and it does exist. Like, yeah. guys have had bad surgeries, but Dude, all tell of them my, are successful. Shout out to my, my old man, GW, who had a foot surgery, like, three or four times to get a piece of shrapnel out of his foot. Um, it wasn't a piece of shrapnel, like from a, for anything exciting. It was like a, I think a golf <laughs> piece, piece of a golf club or something got stuck in his foot. Anyways, the podiatrist really s- screwed it up. Um, name names, I, Brian, put him out there, put <laughs> yeah, him on blast. God, I was thinking about it. Um, tell um, you who's, my so, podiatrist yeah, so, is, is on, on thin ice too, Mike, let me tell you. Anyways. So S- Spencer did what he's had successful surgery. Uh, there Spencer himself has hinted towards that. There's a chance that he could come back this year because, he said there's no structural dam- damage to his ACL. There was minimal tearing. There, it was basically as as light of an ACL tear as you could have from his telling of it. Um, why Spencer Dinwiddie, though, is on the concern tiers is whether the Nets can fill the hole that Spencer has left. To me, mm. I'm putting that S tier. This is all wow. the way tier number one S tier. And this is why I say it. Obviously, Dinwiddie wasn't playing all that well. To begin with, but what he provided the starting lineup was a holeless starting lineup. It was a block of cheddar, the Nets starting lineup. No holes, salty, delicious. This starting lineup without Spencer Dinwiddie, a little bit more Swiss cheese. There's a hole in it, right? And Nash is trying to fill it in with um, some some brie cheese and Timothy Luella Cabarro. And he may decide to go down the route of some, I don't know what kind of cheese Landry Shamit would be, but whatever kind of cheese he would be, that is the kind of cheese that maybe he'll fill the holes of the Swiss cheese that is the Brooklyn Nets starting lineup. I think about ESPN fantasy basketball, Mike. This is what I think about. I think about it all the time, all the live long day. And in the seasons in which you find success in ESPN fantasy basketball, I have deduced that there is like a trend in a prominent injury to one of your best players early on in the season that they can come back from. Um, this is also not to say that like this is a good thing, whatever. I want to clarify, I have, of course would prefer this not to happen. But in a world in which this happens, which is, you know, the world we all live in, it's reality, right? People get hurt and they come back and blah, blah, blah. Uh, in fantasy, it's helpful because it makes you bring other people. You're, you're constantly now looking on the waiver wire and in this case now, for the, if you're Steve Nash, you're looking down the bench to see who's next man up, so on and so forth. You're looking for value in places where you wouldn't be motivated to look for value had that injury not happened in the first place. I see the TLC thing as, as low-key, a super long-term value play for us. If, if Spencer can come back this season or whatever, like no pressure, um, I have not minded TLC in the starter position because I feel like the Spencer Dinwiddie ball handler facet of his game was getting a little bit <clears throat> overlooked or it was being made a little bit redundant by all the other ball handling and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, obviously. Um, I didn't know exactly where to put him because I didn't want to take him off the bench, but he kind of made more sense to me as the lead ball handler in the bench unit. So like where Spencer f- should have fit most perfectly um, wasn't super deeper clear. 
Um, so anyways, this is all to say that like, I think DLC might've been more buried on that bench. Uh, had we not had this thing happened a little bit. And so anyways, I'm just looking for a silver lining maybe to take it out of the S tier. I agree. It's massive, potentially S <laughs> tier territory. I, I don't want to, I'm just doing my, you know, the character that I talked about earlier where I find the silver lining and everything. Um, sure. So there's a little bit of that, but yeah, it's a massive concern, and I and I and I hope that that he can come back as soon as possible. So where do you put Dinwiddie? You tell me where you'd put him. I mean, honestly, my heart says S tier, my brain says A tier because I can find that silver lining. Okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go A tier. And again, to me, it's like Dinwiddie was scoring six points a game in that starting lineup. So if you can't make up six points a game in a starting lineup, then I guess that's a b- indicative of a bigger problem. My thing with Dinwiddie is I had a, a role envisioned for him, which was that he would eventually flip spots with Levert. Levert would move to the starting lineup and Dinwiddie would co- become the, you know, second unit point guard dominator, ball dominator guy who Dinwiddie would is better, is actually a better fit for running an offense than Levert is. And Levert gets more minutes. Levert still isn't starting. We'll have a question about Levert coming up a little bit later. I just think like we all kind of slept on the fact that Dinwiddie got hurt and we're all like, oh, well, we have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Dinwiddie was the MVP of last year's team. He played the most games. He averaged 20 points per game. He carried the team in stretches when they didn't have Levert, when they didn't have Kyrie Irving. He was the MVP of the Nets last year, and now he's hurt. He may come back and update on Spencer Dinwiddie as we were talking. Uh, Stefan Bondi from Daily News had tweeted out that this is what he said. He said, Spencer Dinwiddie underwent ACL reconstruction surgery. Historically, it's possible to return between six to nine months. But more recently, the players are more careful and set out for a calendar year. And Dinwiddie responded with calendar year question mark and a nah gif. So uh, Dinwiddie is saying... Definitely not a calendar year. Now, a calendar year would be 2022 if we're really looking at a calendar, right? Because he got the surgery in 2021. That next year would be 2022. That's how numbers work. Um, Obviously, I don't think Dinwiddie's going to wait till 2022. So, you know, Spencer could still come back the beginning of next year. But he has hinted that he would like to come back this season if he's healthy, um, as would I. And I think it's a big – I just think it's a big deal. Like, he, he provided so much versatility. He made for a holeless cheddar starting lineup, and right now there is a hole. It's a Swiss cheese hole, um, and it's something the Nets have to reckon with as we go along this season. So right now, Dinwiddie is our top concern, the lack of a Dinwiddie. Uh, he's in between the S and A tiers. Our B tier, which is the third tier, is the Brooklyn Knight curse. Between that, the B and C tier is Steve Nash, and then Kevin Durant is the D between the D and the F tier. So that's the five, six tier. So we're not that concerned with them. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more concern tiers. And we're back. So let's chug through some of the rest of these. I was going to say, well, it's not like you're about to say it, but I wanted to segue very neatly into, into one that I was thinking about because of the Spencer Dinwiddie concerns. Is that okay? Yes. I, I appreciate that. I, pre- I know it's your show. I, <laughs> this is a bit of an overstep. I, I appreciate that. Um, well, because like in my in my perfect vision of this, maybe not dissimilar to yours, a second unit that's led primarily by Spencer Dinwiddie and secondarily by Karis Levert is the optimum premium, super depth, everything's working ty- type of team of the future that I would really like to see. The issue there 
is that Karis LeVert still to this day has not really been able to like for any very significant amount of time, have that sort of symbiosis with another guard. It has not happened, Mike. And so I raise the specter of Karis LeVert's compatibility into the arena, the battle arena, Michael, where, where does it go for your, the incompatibility of Karis LeVert with other guards? Uh, To be honest, LeVert, my concern for LeVert right now, even understanding that he's playing against bench players, meaning like ultimately a guy that talented should be fine. So I, I should feel a level of comfort in that Karis LeVert's a bench player. I'm at an A. That's second tier with Karis LeVert. The, the reason why I'm at an A is, again, ultimately the best version of this team, if there's no trades, LeVert should be out there on the floor with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. It's simply something that we really haven't seen that much this season. Um, he's still running the second team bench units he's doing fine but he isn't doing what i thought he would do which is i mean i literally laid again more money on i made him six man of the year because i figured that he would average like 18 and five and just look incredible in the second units and he's been kind of clunky he's just been as clunky karis there's a there's a side effect here brian it's that if the nets are going to make a trade karis levert is sort of the uh the center feature of any trade and if he continues to look clunky um He's averaging 13 points this year, six assists, which is nice, and four rebounds. But his his averages, uh, shooting averages, uh, 37% from the field, 27% from three, 42% from two-point range, which is really bad for him. And he's not getting to the line at all. That That is, um, that's bad for the Brooklyn Nets. He needs to be better. And I can't tell him exactly how to be better besides, like, maybe just be better, uh, but be better, Karis. For me, Karis, and I feel like we dog on Karis because like he's like one of our, our better players and he's just, there's just like one little like flip that needs to get switched, switch that needs to get flipped for him to just like be the super duper not uh, controversial third star on this team that we would all very much like him to be. We're all rooting for Karis, don't get me wrong, but there are hiccups in his game that are a little bit frustrating. And I think chief among them for me is I think he just needs to make decisions faster. I feel like he always waits a beat too long to do any of the things that he wants to do. And I'm actually kind of surprised about his six assists per game because I can't think of like, you know, there's like certain plays that come to mind when I think of Karis LeVert and it's often the too late dump off or the not enough zip on it trickle out pass to the corners where like the defender can always kind of rotate finally back to the guy for contested three. Like it's always just a little bit, not as tight as efficient. Like I I wish that his dribble drive started in an instant instead of like taking a beat to like, be like, is this going to be a pass or is this going to be me starting my like 10 seconds of, of penetration here? Like that's, those are the types of things that I think, and and when, and there are glimpses of times where he does just become of like a swift cutter or a decisive, you know, three points stance dude who just, you know, can do those things quickly and it looks great when it happens and he should do it all the time. And it's just like those bad habits from when we relied on him so heavily as an ISO scorer in a very inefficient manner, uh, the vestiges of that are still haunting his psychology, his basketball psychology. Mike, and we really need to get him into um, that uh, new, that sort of like train of thought. But I agree with you. I put it at an A. And I think that the other part of it that's um, 
that's compelling is exactly what you were saying, which is that he is the chief, the primary trade piece in any package. And as of right now, the compatibility with the second unit is very much up for debate. Shamit and Torian Prince very much require a lead ball handler that can facilitate to make those guys do what they need to do to actually be useful. Like the few moments when Chris Chioza was playing, I feel like it was against Atlanta. I can't remember. Um, but just remembering like how much more uh, dynamic our offense was in the second unit with just subbing out Chris Chioza for uh, as the lead ball handler. That's a, that's a, you know, that's a kind of a, it's not damning, but it is a, like a big data point to be like, yo, like this is, this is a problem for us. We can't have a lead ball handler. That's this stagnant. Yeah, I'm, I've been holding in this joke the whole time, but you said 10 seconds of penetration. <laughs> Sounds like my first time having sex. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> Worth it. Sorry. Worth it. Um, yeah, so it, you know, the funny thing is like we talked, when we talked about Karis for so many seasons, the way we described him was a wing who had really nice ball handling skills. And what he's become now with the second unit is the point guard. He is the chief ball handler and distributor when like really the best version of Karis Levert is even though he's so ISO heavy and the way he's going to get a bucket is his 10 seconds of penetration is that it it is like the best version of him is read and react quickly and then because he's a good ball handler be able to use that against threes and fours by by, by being like the point guard of the bench units he's the focus point of the whole defense all the time He's having to do his clunky, you talk about like triple threat position. It's really an unthreatening position because he can't pull up and shoot. He It takes him 10 seconds to dribble, as you said. And is, is, he's a good passer, but he's not like LaMelo Ball or anything, right? Like, I, you know, people are obsessing over LaMelo Ball. But I put it, so what did I say? I, you say A, I think I said A as well. Um, it's concerning. And I it's, it's kind of a luxury to have a concern of like, is Karis going to figure out the bench unit? Like, because he's so talented and has shown that he can lead a team to the playoffs, uh, you know, or lead a team in playoff games. That if he's your bench player, it's a luxury. But, you know, it's a concern. It's a, it's a concern that he hasn't figured this out better quite yet. So he's an A right now. Why it's a concern. Um, okay. Well, I'm just going to go with Kyrie just because he's, you know, front and center for me here. I don't have to reach too far. Um, Kyrie Irving. Uh, do you have a spiel about, about your concern? Yeah. So I think if you're going to label the biggest concern, particularly the one going into the season was that like, is he going to be a, a disruptor, right? The Woj disruptor label that he was going to go into the locker room and make everyone feel bad about themselves and questioning humanity, you know, and all that stuff. Um, so far, I mean, I think he's, I think it's a D, you know? I, I think there'll there'll be something that he will say, particularly if the Nets keep losing, where he'll do the thing where he's like naming the guys he likes and naming people that he doesn't like on the team. But I think there's two like the fact that Kevin Durant seemingly is very close with Kyrie Irving and Steve Nash being the type of person that he is, accepting of all types of viewpoints. I just don't think there's gonna be like this like f- fissures that just create amongst the team that they're going to be like, oh, Kyrie's just this awful person. I don't see it happening. So I put it as a D. There's something that could happen. I'm just not concerned. I'm really not concerned. He is – I think they know who he is, basically, and that's the advantage that they have. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, remains to be seen about the 
personality, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, as far as on court, what, what more can you ask for? I mean, yeah, he hasn't hit shots that'll happen for people at times um, in the last couple of games, but like up to this point, he's looked super great. And uh, the big thing with like both Kevin Durant and KD, and, and this goes into why I'm just generally not that worried about this team at the moment, is like my only true concerns about them seven games in is that I just feel super scared whenever any amount of contact befalls them in any kind of in any kind of way. And that's my own thing. I've got to get over it. And like just watching Kevin Durant last night continue to like eat shit on dunk attempts against uh <laughs> against whoever that was, who was like Thomas Bryant or whatever. Um yeah. that was that was indicative that he's moved on. I haven't. It's on me. That's my that's a failure of mine. Kyrie, similarly, he's like, I'm not I am unimpinged. I'm pingeless, um, so don't worry about it. And those, for me, were like the big concerns. These are our Ferraris. I don't want to crash our Ferraris, Mike. And the Ferraris are, are going well. They're, they're, they're driving themselves. So I agree. I, I would put it at a D as well. To transition to someone who used to be a Ferrari but now is a Ford Pinto, uh, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, I guess the biggest concern is that he's still starting for your Brooklyn Nets. Um and of course, that impacts Jared Allen in his minutes. Are you truly concerned? And what is your level of concern that DeAndre is starting for this team? So here's the here's my 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 bit about DeAndre Jordan. It's not that big of a deal because he starts, but he doesn't. He plays backup minutes. So like they're they're negotiating that well. I've been I think people will recognize a staunch defender of DeAndre Jordan for his entire tenure here, which is basically just last year. And the reason for that was because, like, he was a serviceable man-to-man defender, and we were playing a lot more man-to-man defense there, and a kind of underrated playmaker for the position. Not so sure about that at the moment anymore. But um, the defender element, which is really at the crux of our like, kind of problem right now, uh, I-, I point to him as being like, this is a-, a big part of the failure of the defense when he's on the court because our defense is so um switch heavy it's so 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 switch heavy so communication do you hear my cats going oh jeez yeah. fucking cats this is, it's always the witching hour right here um it's so much about communication and just general court awareness and he has tunnel vision on defense in a way that is uh alarming it is problematic and it is obvious and he gets beat like it's not that he gets beat. He just doesn't see the guy with the ball. Oftentimes who's like, just kind of wal- like waltzing into the lane while he's not paying attention. Well, he's just laser focused on the guy he's guarding. Um, those are things that need to change. If, if we're going to be like really relying heavily on this intricate, what's a really complicated defense. I mean, that's what we have. We have, we're trying to implement a fairly complicated defense. Um, and he is not a dude who seems to be able to adapt to that kind of complicated defense a few games in. Yeah. A switching defense, the har- the hardest position on the floor as a defender is the center. I mean, they're typically all the the slowest players on the floor, typically, and they have they have trouble guarding guards and everyone's switching. I mean, you think about so the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks always gets always get crap because they don't switch on defense in it, and they have Brooke Lopez, the kind of just sitting by the basket waiting, and they typically have one of the best defenses in the NBA, but it doesn't transition well to the playoffs. The switching defense, which goes back to maybe Steve Nash, it is hard early in the season to look perfect on a switching defense. I mean, we saw in this Wizards game, Kevin Durant yelling at Joe Harris, telling him, I don't need help. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't need your help in the moment. The Nets are doing this hyper ultra level of switching defense. We're like, it's even more than like 
I'm if if I'm going to be running to a screen, the guy on the other side of the screen, the other defender picks up the ball. It's more of like, frankly, and Joe Sai is going to love this. It's more of a, a lacrosse level defense, wow. which is just wow. like everyone's in motion. Um, if if my the guy who has the ball goes to the right, like someone shooting out from the lane, a defender to go at him to kind of like disrupt the system. And early in the season, this is only seven games in, the Nets had the best offense in the NBA. Now it doesn't look that great. Or best defense, excuse me. Now that defense doesn't look all that great. Um, I just think it's hard. Like, so defense is hard. So back to DeAndre Jordan, this is the worst type of defense for him. And um, he just isn't that guy anymore. It's better for Jared Allen. And Jared Allen is better at it. Um I think if my concern is that DeAndre Jordan is starting, I'm not concerned because what I'm seeing, Brian, Kevin Durant seems to like is get falling in love with DeAndre Jordan or with Jared Allen. Mm-hmm. Like he is, he is, at, there was, what was it? The first Hawks game, he was like staring down Jared Allen in like a loving way, like mm-hmm. an aggressive loving way, being <laughs> okay. like, you're the fucking man. Okay. Yeah. And the more, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant recognize the talents of Jared Allen. The easier it will be eventually for Steve Nash to move DeAndre Jordan into a subjugated role. Can I say something? Yes. On our uh, on our Discord, which if you click on uh, uh, Twitter in our bio is the invite link to the Glue Guys Discord, uh, a prominent poster on there, Jeff, uh, suggested the following take, which I'm going to steal here, which is that it could be that Nash is playing – DeAndre Jordan with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant so much so that they can get triggered at him and ask and ask him to to be swapped out for Jared Allen uh, among the starters, which is I said I was going to steal the take and I did. So there it is. Uh, but shout out to the discord. Uh, they're active on the games. So if you guys want to pop in, hit that hit that invite little plug for the discord, Mike, you don't you don't hear that very often. <laughs> um, all right. So and one of the concerns I had was like overall team defense, by the way. So I think we kind of are addressing that. that that's what this um, is. That's I, what the, I, do we have a rep? Oh, it's the shield. It's the shield. <laughs> that's what the shield. But wait, we have to give DeAndre. I mean, if you want to do that with the shield, oh. if you want to combine that. I put, well, I'm going to put DeAndre. I put him at a C, which is the fourth tier down because I'm not concerned about him starting because I think Steve Nash is handling the center minutes. Okay. Even though DeAndre finished that one game, I think against the Hawks, but uh, I think he's finishing it. Okay. And I think there'll be resolution. The team defense thing, gosh, I'll put between a B and a C, between the third and fourth tier, because uh, I think ultimately the Nets will get to a really good place, particularly if they do move Karras to the starting lineup eventually, and he fits better with that guy with the team. Like they should be better at defense, but um, three, four tier. Where are you with defense? Um, yeah, I am actually pretty optimistic about the defense. I would go a little bit further down into the C D realm. Um, just because of this, because I, I think we have a really high basketball IQ squad here that's implementing a pretty uh, tricky defense, but one that I gen- generally agree with. Um, so, like, the long-term payoff in that is, I think, really high. Early on, you sustain a lot of a lot of hits with with trying to do something complicated. Um, so, for me, like, I, I, on paper, agree with everything. Obviously, like, living out the implementation of it is... is um, it's a little bit hard to bear, but you know you do it for for the promise of future fruit. Like that's what you do. So I put it more in the. I'm going to go between C and D, even 
maybe D. So average dad will put it a C. Okay. Uh, we have a few more left. We'll do we'll do them kind of quickly. I'll say I'll say the rest of them together. Yeah, great. And then we'll we'll kind of put it all out there. So we have Landry Shamit. Um, Landry Shamit like hasn't been that good. What was Artorian Prince? Just like we didn't have I think a part of the guys, team. We just kind of like threw him on there because like maybe we'll have something for them. Mostly, I, I, we kind of already yeah, talked about yeah. it, but like the Spencer Dinwiddie TLC thing is kind of the same like concept basically for me. Um, right. So I, we don't. Need and to I love TLC, and I he he's been playing like fine in the starter spot. I, I just think it is like ultimately when you get to like the playoffs, if Timothy Luwala Cabrera is like the starter, it means either he's played really well or the Nets have a big problem. Um, so I'll put that little concern. How concerned are you about Landry Shamit? Um, I think I need more data on Landry. Um. I think of anyone, I have like the least clear view of him as like what what the best version of him could be. Um, he is a lot smaller and faster than I assumed previously. I thought he was kind of like a, you know, like one of the like a, a what's his name, like Kyle Anderson sort of style player or something like that. But he's really not. He's like a, a kind of a, a fast like you know uh, roving guard uh, archetype. So I kind of had a total misconception about what exactly he, it is he does. Um, and so obviously he hasn't shot super well early on. He's made some shots and there is like mechanics look great. Like there's obviously like passes the eye test as the potential for like a good role player just hasn't really clicked fully yet. So I, I jury's still kind of out for me on, on Landry Shamit. Um, but I wouldn't say that the concern is overall very high because the position's not one that is, super duper important i guess to me in, in my mind um yeah. so i put him in sort of like the cd area i guess yeah i'll stick him cd too so that's tier four or five and i agree with you it's like i think i what i what i visually see from him i like what he produces he hasn't done anything this year he's averaging four points per game he's shooting let me pull up his three point stats 22 percent from three on three attempts a game i mean like he's he's getting some shots off it's not like it's an insignificant number um but i like what i see out of him i think that like once he starts hitting his shot he'll immediately like shoot up the rankings of guys we love because he's doing everything mm-hmm. else that to me is interesting um but it's you know it's it's a little concerning because yeah. they did get, they could have had luke Kennard ostensibly or they could have had sadiq bay who's playing pretty well for the pistons and they chose Landry Shamit. So it's a little concerning. I like between C and D for Landry Shamit. Um so we'll do we'll do we had Joe Harris on here. No, how could you be concerned about Joe Harris, right? No, no concern. Not, right? Not He's shooting fifty one percent from three. Uh, He's the greatest human on the face of the earth. Um Torian Prince, j- level of concern that he exists on this team. Where are you with him? Um so the last couple of games he looked a lot better. Uh yeah. so I <laughs> this is always what happens with Torian though. This is this is the meme right here. Two two games on, eight games off. Um and I'm not falling for it this time. You're S tier. No. Uh gosh, what to do with Torian? Because like the thing is, like, it would be great to have that position filled with a super reliable player of that of that type, the like dogged three and D sort of reach for a stretch four kind of um kind of wing. Um, those are covetable players. Um, he wants to be one of those covetable players. He is, he is still currently not really one of them. Um, 
just because like he doesn't do quite enough of the utility things to make it uh super duper click and the shot obviously comes in and out. Um so with that in mind, uh him still getting a lot of minutes. I, I don't know. What do you think? I, I, I'll ramble on and convince myself of anything about Torian. No, I mean, we've talked about this so many times. It's like Torian, as you said, he'll have like two good games. And then like just a bunch of other ones where like, you just feel like he's t- putting up shots that don't matter and don't go in. Uh, but he is now, now because he hit like two or three extra threes so far, he's hitting now 39% from three on two and a half, sh- three point attempts per game. So those are good numbers, but like that's just because he hit like two extra ones because it's so early in the year. I um I mean level of concern. How could we be concerned about Torian Prince, you know, particularly because he isn't even starting when the Dinwiddie hole was left open. So uh I put him I mean, let's just be fair, I'll put him in the D tier just for now. I mean, he was so horrible early in the year. He's playing better. He doesn't continually deserve our scorn. He it's easy to it's easy so, to, for him to get that high in there. So to wrap honest. up, I mean, we have and and I think this is you put it in a good perspective earlier. So it, the biggest concern right now, the S tier between S and A, is Dinwiddie. The hole left by Dinwiddie. Next one is Karis Levert, which is the A tier, the second tier. That like how Karis is fitting on the team, how he's playing. That's a concern. But then you go down. It's like if you talk about your Ferraris. Uh, Kyrie's personality issues, quote, 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 um, is a D tier, second to the bottom. And Durant, is he back, is between not caring at all to slightly caring, right? So if if the two biggest issues going on with this team were that, um, you know, and everyone feels great about them, I think you, this team is in a good place. If I'm reviewing us, if I'm, I'm taking an, un, you know, just sort of an unbiased look, I think we probably should bump up the defense higher just mm. because of how these past few games have gone we have it currently as a c tier which is fourth tier we probably should have it in the third tier because it's it, double, I mean, ultimately it's double s. you moved up to the s it's the top concern because um, ultimately if this team can't play defense it's going to kill the team so i think it deserves to be a higher level well we did it mike this was great um I, let's take a quick i'm going to take a quick screenshot of I'm do like the old, I'm not gonna do the old guy thing where like I take a picture from my cell phone of the screen and be like, this is what was on my screen, but um, this is on our screen. So I just took a shot of it. I'm sure Brian can send it to me. This is so much fun. Really good. Thank you all for listening. Uh, I promise. I mean, we're just not that concerned, but there's level. There's concern is necessary right now. The Nets would be in the playoffs if the playoffs started today. Well, when you put it like that, Mike. Jeez. Thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll be back in your ears as soon as possible.